0: Thank you guys. So before we jump into the message, I just wanted to mention uh, one other thing um, that's from your announcement sheet. You guys have been here uh, the last few weeks, you've heard us talk about love big. As we end this year and begin next year, we really want to think about how we love big as we transition from year to year, how we love our community well, how we think about how we help us all live out loving Jesus and loving people and loving the world. and. And so, you know, as you would sort of expect, we're raising funds at the end of the year to help us transition in that sense. Our goal for this year, and this is sort of all of our year-end offerings, our international missions offering, uh, benevolence offering, all of those things sort of bundled into one as an additional offering over and above our regular offerings. Our goal this year is $35,000. I know it sounds like a lot of money, but when a lot of people get involved, I just know that, um, tell me the truth, Giving Tuesday How many organizations you hear from? Black Friday. Too many. many. Yeah, we were one of those. Uh, Black Friday. How many emails did you get saying, buy this? Right? And so we just remember that love and grace make more of a difference than anything else in our world. And so we really want to love big as uh, we transition from one year to the next. That said, I want to mention as well... That we are beginning a new sermon series. Not today. We're kind of concluding, sort of concluding one today, not exactly. And and then next week we'll begin a new series for Christmas called, uh, which I've moved up already. It's, it's I was supposed to do this on the 17th. I'm now doing it on the 10th. So thrill of hope. Uh, here's the question I want to ask in the sermon series: thrill of hope. In fact, this is the reason I added an additional week to it. My question is: Can a weary world still? rejoice feels like a weary world right now not because of the football game the other night and I really want to explore that together why are we weary as a world what does it mean to embrace hope And can we still choose joy it'll be it'll be great But I'm going to be honest about something. I need your help. I need your help to make Christmas all it's meant to be. Because we're going to celebrate big, just like we're going to love big. But as we celebrate big, I find that there are more people who are more open this time of year to celebrating Christmas or Jesus or the birth of Jesus than more are open than we would expect but frankly they just don't know about us so a couple of things we've done to help with that uh, back in the back there's a box by our Bibles on the back table in front of the booth it's red uh, it has a bunch of these um, just celebrate Jesus invite cards right QR code on the back that'll take them to our website let them know about thrill of hope we'll have that up by tomorrow um, and so let them know about thrill of hope and the opportunities to worship it'll let them know about Christmas Eve And what's coming Christmas Eve and so we really just want to partner with you in fact I often find that that reaching folks is a tag-team sport right that you and I (laughs) work together as we reach people it's not what the pastor does and frankly reaching people for Jesus is not about Sundays it's about far more than that but that said We want to invite them on Sundays and love them well. And so we've got Celebrate Jesus invite cards. Uh, Again, QR codes on the back for anyone that you would love to extend an invite to. Today I want to talk about, kind of as we tee up this Christmas season that's coming, how to share our faith at Christmas. And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not what you think. Sharing the faith is hard for many of us. And I somewhat understand why. It seems like our culture is not very open. Now, mind you, we get pretty antagonistic with the culture around us. For instance, there are Christians who want to make sure that... i got to look around the room real quick. Yeah, we're good. That, That there are Christians that want to make sure we run Santa out of town... There are Christians that want to make sure that, that that there's no mention of anything but J-E-S-U-S at the Christmas season. We tend to think that the culture around us is not very open, but the question I have is how open are we to the people around us who need Jesus? It seems like the culture is not very religious. And sometimes we think, but I'm going I'm to try to show you stats today that disprove this. We think the culture around us is not very curious about Jesus or our faith. And now, it is true. In some cases, there are people who are downright opposed to Christianity or to Jesus. But this line of thinking causes many of us to do this very thing. We find our people here at church. We get into our huddly huddle. And if I'm honest, for a lot of Christians, we just kind of say good luck to the world around us. And in some churches, certainly not this one, we say good riddance. That's not what we say here, right? Because those people around us in the culture who aren't sure about Jesus. those people who are around us in the culture who don't act like Jesus. Those people around us are the very people Jesus came for. Some churches lean so strongly into this mindset that there's an underlying anger, not here, but in some churches, even hatred of the culture around us. I mean, who wants to share grace with people you can't stand or people who can't stand you? I find a lot of that in play in Christian circles, but there's a problem with that. There's that time that Jesus said, Love your all of that. Love your enemies, love your neighbor as yourself. There's, there's the very fact that Jesus came to a world that was at times hostile. There's that, that whole idea that today in the town of David a Savior has been born for you. I bring you good tidings of great joy, Linus said. You remember Linus, right, Charlie Brown? I think, I'm pretty sure he was quoting King James, right? But but today today, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all, that's right, all people, all people. See, that whole we're going to get in our holy huddle and we're just going to shield ourselves from the culture and the people and the world around us and we're just going to say good luck or something worse to them has no basis in the heart of God and no basis in the heart of Jesus. So I want to take us back to the book of Colossians where we've been for months. And I, and I, and I want to read with you and, and to you This beautiful little text, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Always good advice. Watchful. What are we watching for? Jesus. At some level, we're watching for the return, right? But at some other level, we're watching for His work, right? Right? When we see Jesus at work, it's an invitation to step in and join Him in the work He's doing right now, today, in our world. And pray for us, too, Paul writes, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I'm not an apostle, but that's a pretty good prayer for your pastor, by the way. I'm I'm not in chains, thankfully. But it is good to pray that we might proclaim it clearly as we should, the gospel. Verse 5, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It very much reminds me of that verse over in 1 Peter chapter 3 that says, In your hearts revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Yes. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. That there's a very real sense for you and I, I think. This This is asking of us, are there even people in my life who are, as this would say, outsiders? People who may not understand what it means to be a Christian or know what it is Christians really believe? Today I want to talk a bit about evangelism. That word scares us a bit, if I'm honest. I'm going to give us a clear definition today. But a lot of us think, oh yeah, evangelism, that's what preachers do, right? That's what Billy Grahams do, right? They're evangelists. So we leave it to the Billy Grahams of the world because evangelists do the evangelism, right? You're wrong, right? Scripture says that we're all called to reflect the light of Christ's love. all of us are called to do that yes yes so there's a lot of ways we get evangelism wrong let me let me just give you again we think it's for evangelism we think it's for preachers Uh, we think this is evangelism (laughs) right this is a little scary hey you Right I mean, literally it, we either think out down on campus, guy with a bullhorn, which by the way, it, you're probably not on campus very much, but if you've been there lately, there's often a, a dude with a bullhorn bullhorn guy or the one of that you see on TV. yeah, 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 easily or or sometimes sometimes you'll see somebody in a near a mall or a Walmart parking lot, and they're preaching Jesus. But they're also telling you a whole lot of other stuff. This is really not what this text is saying. Thank you for the bullhorn, by the way. I know a guy. We think evangelism is giving a speech. That if you've gone to an evangelism training class, you've memorized a speech... And most of us feel like we haven't memorized that speech very well. So we say, I don't know how to share Jesus because, because I'm afraid I'm going to forget some words in the speech. We think evangelism is preaching. And you and I know that Brian does that, but you don't do that. And there's a couple of us in the room who do that, but you don't do that. So you go, hey, I don't do that. Some of us think evangelism harkens back to like, you know, door to door, collecting converts, putting another notch in your belt. It's the pushy side of Christianity, and we're just not so sure that pushy is good, so we keep our mouths quiet. Some of us perceive evangelism to be an argument, literally a debate. In fact, I saw a, friend, a pastor friend uh, that I've known uh, for, I, have, I don't know, 20, 30 years, that was entering a debate in the next couple of weeks and it was an apologetics debate between him and an atheist over some something that's never going to convert somebody. I'm not saying there's not a place for apologetics. I'm not saying there's not a place for deep thinking. I am saying that's not exactly what this is talking about. One last thing, I think we get evangelism wrong because at least from... Our culture's standpoint, particularly here in Eugene, I think you would hear people who misunderstand what it means to be a Christ follower. And they would look around and say, oh, you're trying to turn me into a... And then they insert politics. And they think, I can't convert because I can't, I'm not going to convert politically, so Jesus is out. And that's a complete misunderstanding of the idea of evangelism think of it this way think of it this way let's play a little bit of true false you guys remember true false back in the day in school all right so we're going to play a little true false true or false most americans are not spiritually minded true or false not spiritually minded you're saying true true or false most americans are not spiritually open true or false not spiritually open True or false, evangelism is arguing people into becoming a Christian. That's what we're going to explore in the coming minutes. But let's think about this. I, I have some slide statistics. Barna did some research. Barna Group did some research recently. Spiritual openness is widespread. They did a survey across America. I realize this is... This is Lane County. This is Eugene. It's, this is probably isn't exactly reflective of our community. But my point is spiritual openness is higher than you believe. 77% of people believe in God or a higher power. 74% of people say, I would like to grow spiritually. 44% would say, I'm more open to God today than I was before the pandemic. That's interesting. That's interesting. The stats get more interesting than that. They surveyed and said, do you personally think that a person named Jesus Christ existed about 2,000 years ago, or do you think Jesus was not a real person? In the survey, they found that 55% said they were completely certain Jesus was a real person. 25% somewhat certain. So my math's not the best in the world, but that's 80% if you add the two together. it's upwards of 80% think Jesus was likely a real person. Not sure, or I never thought about it, 10%, that leaves about 9% or so that are somewhat certain or completely certain that Jesus never existed. There's spiritual hunger on the rise, notice the language particularly, I did not say religious hunger, spiritual hunger on the rise. These are generational numbers, so Gen Z on the left over to boomers on the right. Think that there is, or certain that there is, a supernatural or a spiritual dimension. 83% of Gen Zers said yes. 83% of millennials said yes. 82% of Gen Xers said yes. And 79% of baby boomers said yes. I bet you'd have thought that this was flipped, and that boomers would have the greater belief that there's a spiritual dimension. But this says that the youngest among us have an openness to spiritual things, but there are some roadblocks that get in the way. Barna found the two greatest roadblocks to openness to spiritual things. These are not in your notes, but you know, I don't know if you know this. You're allowed to like write things down. That aren't blanks and we'll get to the blanks soon but you're allowed to write things down one of those roadblocks is hypocrisy in fact across all levels including those of us that consider ourselves Christian it was a top two problem if you, if they asked what causes you to doubt Christianity everybody who wasn't a Christian hypocrisy of Christians was their number one this is why I doubt and even for Christians themselves Hypocrisy was number two on what causes me to doubt. So hypocrisy is a real problem. Number two, politics. Politics. Politics plus faith becomes a turn-off to those who are spiritually open. I've said before, you mix Jesus plus politics, you just get politics. Am I saying that you can't be Christian and be a politician? I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying when I hear politicians put Jesus and scripture in their mouth, my 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 antenna usually go up on are they using that right and who's being manipulated? That goes both ways by the way. The reality is People like the idea of Jesus. They don't always like us. And they particularly don't like the idea that Jesus is just about politics. And if I'm straight with you, neither do I. Now if you think about the culture we've created here at Harvest, it's really built around Jesus is real and changes everything. So am I saying that Jesus can't alter how I see things or alter how I vote or al- no, no no, but I am saying that if if the starting discussion is politics, we'll never get to Jesus, because among the spiritually open, there is an idea of like I like the idea of like Jesus, isn't that the dude that loved everybody? like lean in. When that comes up. So let's talk about what evangelism is and isn't for just a second. In fact, this is the one thing for us today. Evangelism isn't what I think it is. Evangelism works best when I help people explore Jesus conversationally. All right? This is just me working at a working definition, if you will. Evangelism happens, evangelism works best when I help people explore Jesus conversationally. Let me tell you where we think this differs from what what, what we usually think evangelism is. I didn't say evangelism is when I force people, when I convince people, when when I push people. I said when I help people. So notice that change. Next word, change. Evangelism works best when I help people explore. Explore. Think about. Wonder about. Not, not when I help people decide. So we think evangelism is when I convert somebody. So we think evangelism works best. Right? It's what evangelists do when they convert people to Jesus. I I don't know if you all realize this, but I can't convert anybody. I have no say over anybody else's life. And convincing people that shift to faith, frankly, that's not my job even as a preacher it's the Spirit's job but the scripture says that he's always drawing and if he's always drawing then I'm partnering or joining in or meeting God in the conversation to help people explore who Jesus is like I might be able to say hey have you thought about this Bible verse over here or that Bible verse over there I might be able to say this is who Jesus is to me. Evangelism works best when I help people explore Jesus, and I would add, and his way of life. Conversationally. This doesn't work. I I give the guy I give the guy credit, usually a guy who's bullhorning out around town because he's at least trying to share his faith. But I'm mostly convinced that I'll never bullhorn someone into saying, you're right, I'm a sinner, I need to repent. And Jesus loves me and I believe it. More than not, it will turn people away. So what we need to do is learn how to have curious, respectful empathetic conversations with people who don't believe exactly the way we believe and those conversations are sharing the faith those conversations whether somebody is converted or not is evangelism I don't know about you but most big decisions in my life are a process I don't make them on a dime. When a dude shows up at my door and knocks on it and says, hey, I've got a great deal for you. Would you like to spend, spend 20 grand on something? Like the answer, I already know the answer to that. right? My mind's already said, No. Right? Likewise, when somebody shows up in a shirt, nice white shirt, little badge. Again, I'm not trying to make fun of them. They're being authentic about their faith. But most of us have made up our minds. But wouldn't you know, over the next month, if people are really open, then as we talk about Christmas, there's a place to just ask good questions. I'll even suggest some to you in just a minute. I think at the end of the day, we overthink evangelism. We get all freaked out and scared over what it is and isn't that we stay out when God is already at work and we've just gotta to learn to recognize it, hear it, and lean in. So how do we talk about the faith conversationally? I got five suggestions for you, some of which are misnumbered on here. Just caught that, my bad. Are yours are yours three, four, and five on the back or eight, nine, and ten? All right, all right. You got that, you're you're okay. You get to come, Mark, you come up here, take the megaphone, and the bullhorn, and you preach, and I, no, I don't know how that happened. We apologize. Actually, I do know exactly how it happened, but we'll, we'll get that kind of thing taken care of. So five things about exploring uh, Jesus conversationally. How do, we, how do we do this? How do we talk with people we know about the faith conversationally? How do we do it in a way that's not super pushy and awkward, even using something as simple as a tag with a QR code? I think it starts like this. Number one, open doors more than door to door. Open doors more than door to door. Verse three, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. When Paul went to a town as, a, as an apostle, he looked for a person who was open every single time. And when he found that open person, he leaned in. And occasionally he went to a town and he found no open people. And he found other ways to preach in the marketplace or to share in some way. But far more than not, he went and looked for an open person. And I think you and I should do the same. Yeah, non-Christians are more open to spiritual things. Again, I didn't say religious things. Spiritual things, more open than we think. Number two. Talking about Jesus, our faith, conversationally, I'm looking for aha moments more than sales pitches. Aha moments. He said, pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the, now here's the key word, mystery of Christ. Now, the word mystery is a special word biblically. It means something that was hidden that God has now revealed. It's what Christmas is all about, by the way, where God has made evident to the world what the world did not always know. In fact, we can say that Jesus in the flesh is the revealing of who God is. Wouldn't you say that? It's the understanding. If you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. It's simple. So a lot of times when you're having a conversation, maybe someone will say, you know, I just don't like Christians. You ever hear that? (laughs) I'll sometimes say yes, sometimes I don't either. That's before or after they find out I'm a preacher. Which is always an interesting thing in and of itself, right? Because people clam up once they know what I do for a living. So I'm always fighting. Like, what do you do? Oh, I'm in sales. Yeah, I do something like that. <laughs> but honestly, this is not sales. And that's kind of how we think of, of of evangelism. This is the sales side of Christianity. Here's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for sales pitches I'm looking for aha moments. I'm looking for any bit of openness that might be an aha in the process of figuring out the mystery. When I go to the movies and I watch mysteries, I usually, it usually comes in little pieces here and there where you're playing connect the dots and eventually there's a big aha where all the dots connect. But the big aha usually comes out a lot of smaller ones. Wouldn't you say that? The same is true when people come to faith. That there are little aha things where, it, oh, I do think that the spirit realm is real. By spirit realm, I don't just mean angels and demons. Although if you think about it, people are pretty open to that kind of thing. I mean, I mean, the, the, the idea that we're more than flesh and bones. When people ache deeply on the inside, that's, a moment, that's an aha moment. Because they're talking about something that's in their soul. They just don't know it. There's an opportunity to lean in. Number three, curiosity more than apathy. In sharing our faith, I'm looking for me to see curiosity and to show curiosity more than apathy. When someone's curious, I see the open door. Now I want to be curious. What do they think? Where are they at? What do they believe about Christmas? I'll give you questions in just a minute, but I think there's a great opportunity to just check in with questions. I'm curious, what do you think? It doesn't have to be me having all the answers, which is, what again, what we think evangelism is. It can be just a simple, how do you celebrate Christmas? Because that often leads to what do you do? Creates conversation. And conversation over a water in a restaurant or a piece of pie or a coffee at at, at Starbucks or wherever you go, conversation opens doors in powerful ways. But it's going to take me being curious more than apathetic. He said, verse 5, Be wise in the way you act, towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. We miss opportunities because we're not curious. And we miss opportunities because we often don't care enough to listen. Number four, respect more than disgust. I hear a lot of uh, superiority out of Christians on TV when the when the debates sort of go on I hear a lot of we're so right and you're so wrong a, a lot of look down the nose I'm better than you so my straight-up question is when someone treats you that way does that ever work No, I mean, it's a surefire way to make me shut down. When you treat me like I don't belong or don't matter. I'm looking for, on our parts, respect. Not Really, I misphrased this. It's not more than disgust. I don't want any disgust in the equation. I don't think we can expect non-believers to listen to us if in our very language we are distancing and dehumanizing and dismissing and demonizing people. That doesn't create conversation. That creates verbal wars. And if you look at the state of American life and its relationship to Christians, I just described it. And some of that's on us. Now, some of that's on other people too. Sometimes we are dehumanized. Sometimes we are demonized. Sometimes we are dismissed. And if that's true, then we know how it feels. And we know it doesn't work. And we should know that we need to lean in, not out. Instead of distance, thank you, Craig. Instead of distance, we should close the gap. Isn't that what Jesus did at Christmas? Close the gap. Instead of dehumanizing, we should empathize with humanity. Isn't that what Jesus did at Christmas? God is humaned in Jesus. Not just humanized, but He became human. God didn't dismiss us. Imagine if Jesus came to the world and said... All y'all who are sinners, get out of here. All you who aren't like us, get out. All you I can't stand, which is all of you, go away. Right? If Jesus was just grumpy dude, or grumpy religious guy, with one of these, They probably still would have crucified him. But I don't think he'd have ended up with the following he has today. What appeals to us about Jesus is his love and grace. And what I'm getting at is that Scripture's calling us, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Show empathy that there's a place to lean in. When a person says, I'm hurting... Be Jesus to them. I don't mean you are Jesus. Don't misunderstand that. But reflect Jesus to them. More grace than judgment. More light than heat. One last thing. Questions more than answers. Verse 6 said, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone we're pretty sure that christianity has the answers and that evangelism is giving the answers so sometimes our evangelism looks like a 2-year-old not a 2-year-old a second grader probably a 7-year-old in the kids class like what's the answer to the question in Sunday school ooh 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 right that, that's that's kind of our way of we want We want to bowl people over with our answers that are right I was a freshman in college in high school I became a Christian I was 15 I took a class at our church with our pastor called evangelism explosion we went out on Monday nights and we shared the gospel with people and so I was trained in how to give the speech how to ask the two diagnostic questions how to end how to how to call for the question essentially at the end i was trained in the sales pitch i had practiced i had experienced i'd gone along and by the way i built good relationships in those so i'm i'm not totally demeaning that but 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 I want to tell you this story from my freshman year in college. I was on my hall. It was one of the first few weeks of school. I don't remember exactly when. There were a couple of guys lived across the hall from me. And one of them, one point, says, what is a Christian anyway? And it was like I heard ding, 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 and I stepped into the ring. And I gave the answer which probably took 15 to 20 minutes. And all the guys in the room kind of went. And I don't think I converted anybody. They were just kind of, at some level, in awe, and at some level, like, offended that I just took control of the conversation. So I think back on that moment sometimes, and I wonder... If I'd have said, What do you think? How much further that would have gone. If I'd have said, Tell me more about what you've heard. Or tell me more about. How you see Christianity and Christmas gives us this great opportunity by the way it's not that we never have answers don't misunderstand me questions more than answers doesn't mean we question everything and have no answer it means it means that we're asking more questions we're listening more than telling but some point along the way there does come a moment where you can speak up and say here's what I believe but let me give you some simple starter questions like, like for Christmas, I think these are just incredible open doors. What's your family doing for Christmas? They'll say, oh, we're traveling. Oh, grandma's coming. What's your family tradition for Christmas Eve? Oh, we have a big dinner. What's your favorite part of Christmas? Man, I love setting up the Christmas tree. I don't know if you know this, but every one of these questions almost begs a follow-up that says, what about you? What's your family doing after Christmas? Do you have any Christmas traditions? What does your family do on Christmas Day? What do you do on Christmas Eve? Now, you might phrase that one slightly different. That sounds like I'm about to sell you something. What are you doing Christmas Eve? Right? Tee it up. So what if I say, what's your tradition on Christmas Eve? And I'm listening. Oh, my family, we go out to Grandma's house in Cresswell, or my family, we... And they say, what about you? And you say, you know, my family usually gets together and goes to a Christmas Eve service at church. And then we go over back to so-and-so's house. We have taco soup or whatever your tradition is. And it leads to a really easy opportunity to say, would you like to sit with me and come to ours? I think if we learn to ask more questions, we'd find that the opportunities for answers come more frequently. All of this, by the way, assumes that we know, love, and interact with people that this is calling outsiders. And if you're an outsider, please don't misunderstand me today. This is not the Bible judging you or labeling you. This is the Bible trying to find a word for a person who is not yet inside the faith, hence outsiders. But it assumes that those of us who are inside the faith know, love, and have conversations with people who are outside the faith. And a lot of times we just say, look, I don't know how to put it into words. I don't know how to give the speech. So I gave you the words. If you look in your notes... I put the good news in a few words. And I want to be clear about this, because this sort of looks like I just gave you something like the Romans road to salvation with a couple other scriptures thrown in. I don't want you to feel like you have to give all of these to someone. Right. When someone says, hey, I'm interested in your church or, hey, I've heard of your church. Don't they do that big Easter thing? conversation, if someone actually says to you, I don't think I really understand Jesus. You could use any one of these verses. And I highly recommend that you memorize one of them. Romans five eight. I, I like this one. It, the gospel in like, what, 12 words or something? I didn't count it. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wait, did that call me a sinner? Yeah, it called us all sinners. We. I'm a sinner. When I say, yeah, I'm a sinner, we just dismantled hypocrisy. We just dismantled I'm better than you. What's Christmas all about, Charlie Brown? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great that will cause great joy for all the people. That today in the town of David, a Savior, yes, a Savior, has been born to you. And he is Messiah, Christ, the Lord but I don't know how to explain all those words. This is just my point. You don't have to have all the answers. You're not here to convince someone or argue someone into being a Christian. You're just here to love them like Jesus loves and point them to Him. It's up to Him to do the convincing. We get to just say I love you because He loves you. What if they reject me? I'm more concerned about what if we reject them? Can I pray for us? Hey, look. Just noting for us, I didn't run 15 minutes over today like the last few weeks. It's been a tough stretch. We always end with two prayers. The first a prayer of salvation, the second a prayer of application. If you uh, today are here and you might say, hey, I'm one of those outsiders. Like, I'm not sure I really understand Jesus. or I, I don't really understand what Christianity is all about. I would tell you this. It's about God's love. That God loved you enough that His Son was born into this world, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for our sins. There's a lot in that. I'm not even sure I fully understand it. And I'm well trained. Died for our sins, was buried in a borrowed grave, and came back to life, defeated death. He's alive today. Resurrection. The question is not whether we understand it all. It's just are we willing to receive what God offers? And if you are, maybe you'd pray with me right here, even online today, like this. Dear Jesus, I don't understand all of this. And I don't deserve You. But Jesus, I thank You that You were born that you died for my sins. And I turn to you. And I ask you to take over my life. Take away all that's wrong in my heart. And put all that's right inside of me. Change me from the inside out, Jesus. put my trust in You. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you and you prayed to follow Jesus, maybe for the very first time, I'd love to know it. I'd love the chance to talk about what that means and what's next and how we can help. Even online, I'd love to know. So you can let me know a lot of ways. You can find me. You can reach out to someone here. You can tell someone you came with. You can find me right after this service. You can even email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at com. I was 15 when I prayed a similar prayer to that. I didn't understand it all. In fact, I found that in the months ahead after that, that I felt the need to sort of say the prayer again because I wasn't sure I did it right the first time. Do you guys relate to that? Right? And then, like, three months later, I did it again. And this this is as a teenager, right? So you go to camp and you got to do it again. And here's the point Jesus died for your sins. You don't have to do it over and over. It's not about what you do, it's about what he's done. That's where the gospel is really good. It's about what he's done. That's why it's called good news. And I think there are going to be a lot of open doors because it's a weary world, which is why I want to ask. Over the next weeks, can a weary world still rejoice? Because I'm going to be straight with you. I'm fairly weary. Anybody besides me? So we get the chance in the coming weeks to just invite some people who are also weary to come along with us. Some of them might discover Jesus along the way. Or better said, be discovered by Jesus along the way. You and I get to be a part of that. I mean, how cool is that? If you today have heard God's Word and you would respond with a yes to His invitation, not not to receive Him because you've already done that, but to do what we've talked about, maybe you'd stand with me and pray this prayer of application. You pray it even out loud if you want. You don't have to. Dear Jesus... Thank you you. that you came came. full of grace, full of understanding understanding. to reach us. us. So help us, us. full of grace, full of of understanding understanding. and empathy empathy. to do what you did, did. to reach out, out. to show love, love. to ask ask questions, to point people to God. Jesus, I pray for... Don't repeat this one. Just fill in the blank with the name of someone God pops in your mind. I pray for...